0: Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and all your favorite podcast players. Join the Pharmacy Podcast Nation today. Pharmacy benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system which supports our independent in community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care.
1: A years-long fight over whether states have the authority to regulate important aspects of drug pricing was argued before the U.S. Supreme Court on October 6th, which is, um, just amazing to think that we finally received that opportunity in the state of Arkansas. Uh, Rutledge versus the Pharmaceutical Care Management Association, better known to us insiders in the pharmacy industry as the PCMA. I got to listen to a part of that uh, conversation and the evidence that was presented before the United States Supreme Court. And it was fascinating and it was exciting to hear what I believe is is going to be um, a watershed moment, something that we're going to see changes come from not only in the state of Arkansas, but nationally, what this impacts is our patients care, the ability for a pharmacy, a pharmacy owner to do what they do best in their community. I want to welcome a pharmacy owner, Dr. Steve Moore to the pharmacy podcast who has a f- local pharmacy, a community pharmacy called Condo Pharmacy in Upper State, uh, New York. Uh, Steve, welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast.
2: Yeah, Todd, thank you very much for having me today. I appreciate it.
1: You're very welcome. This is the PBM Reform Podcast Series where we really focus on things that are happening throughout the country that's going to impact the care that you deliver based on the fact that the payment models that are set up to trip you. And to take back money from you as a pharmacy owner ongoing, which is just a shell game uh, that the PBMs have created to, uh, to put money back to their stockholders, uh, which has nothing to do from that profit perspective, has absolutely nothing to do with better patient care. And I enjoyed hearing uh, the PCMA representation yesterday try to give some very um, weak uh, feedback to the US Supreme Court on some of the arguments what was your take on the um, on that session Rutledge versus the PCMA
2: yeah so like you said earlier just a, a watershed moment for pharmacy um, a long time coming you know there's there's been a lot of great people who have done a lot of great work to, to get pharmacy to, to get. Their um, especially appreciate, you know, the work of NCPA and the, the, Arkansas Pharmacists Association, you know, that group there, I don't start probably with Mark Riley and, you know, Kristen's their current president, but also, you know, Scott Mason and John Vinson and just their whole team, they've, they've done such a fantastic job of, you know, making this issue Arkansas's issue. Um, I, I thought the most telling point of, you know, yesterday's arguments was when the, um, the Arkansas Attorney General Representative started talking about how this isn't necessarily a pharmacy issue, uh, but he started naming the towns in Arkansas, and he started talking about how it was going to affect the patients that lived in those towns. And you know, this, this case has been oversimplified in a lot of ways um, by some outsiders as a pharmacy reimbursement case, and it, it's so, so much more than that. Um, this is, like you said, it, it's going to be something that's going to allow us to, to care for our patients now and in the future. You know, we we deal with the PBMs and, and their issues with reimbursement. And we're always talking in pharmacy about how, you know, we've got to we've got to move to this new paradigm and we've got to move to this this model where pharmacists are paid to provide care. The, the yeah. simple fact of the matter is we're not gonna be there to provide the care if we don't deal with the PBMs.
1: That's right. And you're you're picking things up that that affect your patients' lives that no other provider is doing, and 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 the domino effect that this causes, the drug. Um, medication adherence issues that this is causing. The fact that we expect in these broken systems that a mail order um, regimen uh, for a chronic disease sufferer is going to be um, compliant and going to be enough care to help um, patients who are not coming back to the pharmacy periodically to be checked by a pharmacist and and to review medications, to review things that are happening in their life. When when COVID hit in March of, of 2020, uh, at least in the United States, from that big perspective, when everyone was cognizant of how serious uh, the pandemic was, I knew that the acceleration of pharmacy care was going to be needed and how physician offices uh, were going to be compounded above and beyond their inability to see the patients that they needed to. and the slack has been picked up by the community pharmacy. Before I get back into this case and the impact of this case, share with our listeners um, your experience uh, with the pandemic and how the pressures have been placed and the volume has increased, but the um, the revenue to cover expenses certainly isn't there. So just, just tell our listeners a little bit about that from Condo Pharmacy's perspective.
2: Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, we're, we're very fortunate in, in Plattsburgh that it didn't hit us as hard as it as it did some of my colleagues in other parts of the state. So, you know, we've had some patients who have been affected by it. We've had some staff members. Um, and you know, our, our thoughts are with everybody who's been been affected by this in the community, um, whether they've contracted the disease or not. You know, I, I think that's the one thing about COVID is, you know, it's hit us all in, in one way or another. So um, you know here's to, to hope that we can work with our communities to get to some semblance of, of normal in a safe and healthy manner soon. Um, you know, as far as, you know, here at the pharmacy, we're actually still operating under a closed door model. Um, you know, we kind of took a look at what we did. And, you know, in addition to traditional retail services, we do compound, we deliver, we, we kind of some things that the, um, the other pharmacies in the area may not. So we decided that, you know, it was probably incumbent upon us to, to preserve our ability to dispense the prescriptions we we needed to dispense. So, we've kind of sacrificed our, our front end sales to a degree, um, but at the same time, I think it's more important that we're here to take care of the patients who need us uh, for the prescriptions and the, the clinical care services we provide uh, than it is for the, the OTC items that we can necessarily know. We can certainly deliver them or, or bring them out to our parking lot. So um we still do continue to to operate under that model there's been increased expenses for ppe for you know for environmental controls our hvac system you know the merv 13 or whatever grade filters that they recommend those were in short supply for a while and and now they're they're more costly you upgrade to a higher grade filter you're going to have to change them more frequently so there's all sorts of things to consider in this this new COVID 19 world for sure so i think here in new york you mentioned that you know it was going to have to accelerate the, the scope of practice changes for pharmacists, and you're, you're 100% correct. Um, we're part of the pilot program. Uh, there's 50 stores here that the, the governor, Governor Cuomo, um, 50 community independent stores that he announced would be part of his pilot to do COVID-19 testing. And he made that announcement back in the spring. And it probably took us about five months to the point where we're actually able to get to a point where we have the pharmacies that can consistently test you know you've got issues you've got to work through with your workflow with your software with your third parties with your billing platforms and i just think even from the, the community pharmacy perspective we we may have underestimated what was our biggest scope of practice change in the last 10 years um, since we became i believe we were the 49th state allowed to immunize in, in 2008 so um, this covid point of care testing is is a very big opportunity for pharmacy here in new york and and we're excited about it um, we're looking forward to expanding from collection site models to uh, models where we actually have some of the analyzers. We have stores that are, are going to be getting some of those later this week. So um, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to provide a service for the patients in our communities and to help people stay healthy and get back to work.
1: So are your patients um, coming to the condo pharmacy or are you going to their home or how is that working?
2: Yeah, so it's going to be a little bit of both. Um, and one of the challenges, and it's, it's not a challenge, I shouldn't say that, but New York has, you know, they have free testing sites for a lot of people. So, you know, if somebody can get there, we're certainly encouraging them to, to use those sites, but if somebody can't get to a testing site, and I I think this is where community pharmacy can always, always, always come into place. Yeah. It's pretty simple for me to, to go into somebody's home and to do a a swap or to meet them at their front door, that type of thing. We can, we can structure that visit in a way that's safe for me and safe for the patient, safe for my staff. Um and now we've got the opportunity with the uh, the point of care, the rapid test to, to have a result uh, for that patient the same day as opposed to you know a twenty four to forty eight hour time frame.
1: That's great. So if it's a pharmacist, for example, and you you have a very robust team, um dr Carrie uh, Pryor and and yourself, and uh, you know Gene Moore, your whole team is just amazing and and we've talked to, about them before and the, the services that you're providing, if you are going to the home, is there an opportunity to talk about some other things that you're doing, such as your ideal protein, your compounding, the ability to do multi-dose packaging? Is there any way to continue to expand services for a patient so that you do make some money, even though the the PBMs are really are pressing down on you?
2: Yeah, so absolutely. Anytime you've got dedicated time uh, with a patient and, You know, this has been one of the the neatest things about immunization for us here is, you know, in a pharmacy, you don't often have dedicated one-on-one time with a patient in a private environment. That hasn't been pharmacy's practice model for, for a long time. So, you know, we found when we started immunizing 10 years ago that, you know, it may only take me, you know, a few minutes to do the, to provide the actual immunization once the documents were prepared and everything like that. But I may spend ten or fifteen minutes with a patient talking about, you know, their medications, whatever's going on with them, um, and it's been a great way to interact with our existing patients. But it's also an opportunity to convert new patients. You know, we found that you know the new patients who come to us for immunizations, if they they have some questions and they spend their time with the pharmacist, that you know maybe that's a relationship that they didn't have, and they feel that they could have that with us. So it's a nice opportunity to to provide care, and I think you'll see some of that. Same opportunity with the testing. Um, the testing will probably be administered under the supervision of a pharmacist. We can train uh, staff to do that, so we do have uh, some some great team members here. Like you said, we're we're very fortunate to work with them, who I I think can kind of help me do that. But I'm excited because I I do envision you know I've got staff members who can help me with the testing, while at the same time I might be able to do the immunization. So we can kind of you know maybe treat more patients than we'd be able to if it was a pharmacist only thing.
1: So this whole PBM reform pot of stew is coming to a boil, and it's in uh, the best best position that we've ever been. The question before the court is whether regulating a PBM is reg- is related to regulating an employee benefits plan or the plan administration. And there's so many caveats to that subject that I think the the US Supreme Court judges were really educated, which was exciting. And we even had some really thin, very uh, silly at most uh, responses from PCMA where they argued the word relates to as their only way of arguing uh, very you know specific points that were brought up um, by uh, Justice Samuel Alito and um and in in the presentation that he kind of kicked off. And then the court also heard arguments in the in the case of Tanzin versus Tanvir, which involved a lawsuit against FBI agents for actions taken in their official capacity, and how um there's some tie back to uh, government funded plans and how PBMs are taking advantage of um of Government-run plans, uh, Medicaid-funded plans. So I think that this is, I think this is um, is cracking open a a shell. um, Like I said in the beginning of the opening, the shell game that they're playing, really cracking it, so that um, our our policymakers will see things for what they truly are, instead of the the hidden, very intelligent algorithms that are that have been invented by the PBMs. This is all kind of cracking open. But what else do you think needs to happen to really nail this home so that we don't have all of this time lapse before the decision? I think the decision takes place in February of 2021. Is that what you also know, um, Stephen?
2: Yeah, you know, we're hearing kind of different, different timelines and different things. Um, I do understand at some point, you know, in the near future, there will probably be some sort of, of gathering the justices they do kind of straw polls to see where they stand on this issue. So, I don't know what will come from that as far as what we hear or don't hear, but, you know, obviously from our point of view that the best case scenario would be that they all get together and, you know, they agree that something needs to be done and they can move forward, um, you know, as quick as possible that way. Um, if there's a split or something, you know, that's obviously going to, you know, stretch the timeline for us. and you know, I, I think because so many states, you know, here in New York, we have, you know, we had some PBM legislation last year we were incredibly excited about. Um, unfortunately, Governor Cuomo vetoed it due to concerns over ERISA. So we're on hold with, with this year's version of the legislation right now for the, the results of this case. Um, so I, I would hope and I hear that, you know, that's kind of a similar situation in other states that this is is going to have a domino effect, you know, so there's there's definitely going to be work to be done, um, you know, no matter what the outcome of this decision is. But I think the work's going to be a lot easier to do if it's a favorable one, and I, I do think, based upon the arguments yesterday, that we're trending in the right direction. So I'm, I'm pretty excited.
1: Yeah, under Act 900 of 2015, pharmacy benefit managers must pay drugstores pharmacies. I can't stand when they refer to pharmacies as drugstores, but I mean that sounds so 1980 but um, at least as much as what their um, their operation paid to a wholesaler to obtain the drug. And it allowed pharmacists to refuse to fill prescriptions if the reimbursement is too low for them to recoup their cost. And it required a reasonable administration administrative appeal procedure so that pharmacists can challenge reimbursement rates. You know, I did a podcast episode for uh, the PBM reform uh, series where I talked about technology. And I think there's an aspect of technology. I want to ask your opinion as a pharmacy owner, if you think this makes sense, whether you're using any of the pharmacy management systems wouldn't matter. There are there are abilities through certain protocols set by CMS, for example, or the NCPDP um, to, to come up with um, metrics com- to come up with measurements that are the same everywhere. And one of those measurements is if you loaded in a contract a physical, you know, um, contract descriptive in a library of data inside your pharmacy management system that identified what contract you were on based on whatever whatever protocols they have, even tied back to star rating. And if the pharmacy had every single one of the boxes checked per prescription, in the back end, all taking place through this algorithm or software, you could easily run reports and share that data with, a, um, with a, a state-run organization, especially if Medicaid was involved, to show that the pharmacy is doing everything that you're supposed to be doing so that the wool is pulled away from the mysteriousness of PBM contracts where they can't come back DIR fees indirect fees. So, so what do you think of, of technology playing into PBM reform?
2: Yeah, so that that's a great question. Um, one of the biggest problems in my mind that pharmacy has is, is we have difficulty um, articulating and telling our story. Um, and our story, you know, it may vary from pharmacy to pharmacy to a degree, but we don't technically, we don't always have the data behind our stories. It's very easy for me to maybe say, Based upon what I see at my business, there's something wrong. Uh, but can I tell that story in a compelling manner that's reflective upon what's going on throughout the entire industry and not just at my store? And you know, we have some sort of degree of difficulty due to antitrust laws, you know, communicating with other owners to tell the story because you know you find out that you know what maybe this isn't just me that's experiencing you know these problems it's happening to somebody in the town next to you know town next to me it's happened to somebody in the adjoining county and it's happening to somebody downstate so how do we collect our, our data and share our stories in a, in a way that complies with you know the antitrust concerns we all have and in a way that's compelling because you know i think if you look at the work um, here in New York through through Pisney, which is the Pharmacist Society of the State in New York, uh, we worked with uh, our friends at 46 Brooklyn, Eric and Antonio, and they did such a great job uh, doing an analysis of our, our state's Medicaid spending, our managed care Medicaid spending, and they did it with publicly available data that was still only able to tell just a small portion of this story. So I think we need to look at the data from within our own pharmacy systems, but we also need to, to look at the data you know, from the bigger picture as well. So that, that's a really compelling point that you make and I, I couldn't agree more that it's something we need to, to focus on and learn about.
1: Yeah, the, I see us battling the contracts based on holding the agreement to the PBMs so that three months after that prescription is done and gone, and you've been paid for it that can't be taken back based on the agreement that you've signed, or that your um, you know, that your wholesaler has been involved with, or any of the affiliations that you're part of, that that we can go back as a group of pharmacies based on data, just like Antonio's team, um, you know, with with all of the metrics and all of the reporting that they've done, uh, when they when they did a report out of Florida's Medicaid system, yep. um, they they showed that it was absolute errors on the side of the PBM, yep. and um, and and I think we can battle fire fire with fire as we're looking for uh, reform, as we're looking for changes to be made at the federal and state levels, uh, starting with this Arkansas um, uh, Supreme Court case. I I think that there's ways to use data against The PBMs to to show that it's not the pharmacy that is making any mistakes for you to pull money back. It's in fact the 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 system that you've designed on purpose so that you know you're going to pull money back later, and it's it's a it's a trap.
2: Yep, absolutely, and I I think they've done everything they can to to muddy the waters. And you know, you heard it in the arguments yesterday. It's like, well you know if you rule against us the pcma lawyers were saying it's like it's going to be really hard to do our job and it's like because we're going to have 43 different macs and it's like well who's telling you you need 43 different macs you know why does one client deserve one mac and another client deserves another mac if you want to simplify things and have one mac list so we can remove one of your big objections uh to uh to this particular case so they they've created an environment where it's it's incredibly difficult to to track what they do and to know what it is they're doing they confuse their clients they confuse legislators they spend a ton of money on lobbyists um, and they're doing everything they can to protect a very significant profit stream i mean we're talking about some of the biggest companies here in, here in the world and in the country and i mean i don't know if you remember a couple of years back you know walmart had to threaten to go to the public and to do negotiations for their prescription uh, reimbursement because they couldn't successfully negotiate Uh, with cbs at the time you know walmart's the biggest country company pretty much in the world so um, if they can't keep track of what they're doing i don't know what chance the rest of us have
1: absolutely you know i i was talking with um a really interesting interview that we did uh, back in august of 2020 uh, about walmart's uh, position to become a health disruptor with some of their Superstore locations where they would build these Walmart health centers that would give eye care and dentistry and some other things. And I was talking with James Garner, who's one of their consultants. And I had the crazy idea that Walmart comes out with, since they're really much in every community, they come out with a plan, a literally a pharmacy benefit management plan that embraces all of the community pharmacies in that community. As the first line um, provider, above and beyond obviously their own pharmacy, but it, it enables them to have enough mass in the plan of itself. Therefore, you just come to market with overnight. You you throw the switch, and Walmart is now a PBM, and it creates this way of finally partnering with a community pharmacy instead of worrying about um, their their pharmacies uh, gobbling up you know community because there are certain patients, you know, Steve, that, that never want to go to Walmart pharmacy, right? Yeah. I don't, I'm. I like my Walmart. I do my groceries and my basic stuff, but when I want my pharmacy care, I, I don't go to Walmart, nothing against Walmart. I just, I have my community pharmacy that I want to go to Brownsville family pharmacy. And I like that. And I go there and pick up my pet meds and pick up my other meds. So, but, but if, If we had this network, they could clobber and invent this own more holistic environment. Since they're going to have all these other healthcare services available, where we're we're assuring that patients are being taken care of, and that the community pharmacy, the privately owned community pharmacies, get to participate and become um, you know partnerships in these communities. Um, And I still want that to happen. Now there has been an article that came out just recently that Walmart is coming up with some kind of Health insurance, and I hope that they will gra- embrace the community pharmacies that they're that they're in in you know integrated with in those communities, because that would be um, spinning the whole PBM thing on its head, as well as being able to combat you know the threats of of what we know Amazon is focused on.
2: Yep, yeah. yeah, a lot of challenges uh, ahead, and I, I think for pharmacy to be in a position to navigate these challenges. We need to deal with the PBMs. You know, I think we can talk about a, a clinical model all we want. I, I think if you're losing money to spend some products because, and that's your only revenue stream, then you know you're going to be in trouble. So,
1: absolutely. And they say through metrics we have 200 million Americans on some type of prescription. So this isn't uh, an issue that's going to go away. And year after year, as we have um, hardships and financial struggles, we still see the PBMs. Um, making profit on tax money, uh, Medicaid money, and it—it's just frustrating, and it must stop.
2: Yeah, and we're excited here in New York. Um, as of April first, we will be kicking the PBMs out of managed care and returning to a fee-for-service model. So that was a, a long time coming. It's been a, a couple of years worth of work here, but you know, largely uh, with the help of, of Eric and Antonio, we were kind of able to to show that the state needed to take a look at that that benefit plan program and uh our comptroller just came out with a report probably well, a couple of weeks ago now you know we had estimated about 300 million dollar a year issue and they were talking about 700 million over a couple of years so we're looking at a significant savings by by removing these these unnecessary middlemen from the equation
1: well that's awesome news um yeah, the the pbms is the is that middleman who take the money and, and do very little with what they're, you know, doing in, in the excuses that they're making it, it is coming to an end. And what do you think the next next steps are for, um, us as a, uh, as a, a family of independent community pharmacies? Um, what, what would you say to that pharmacy owner that's listening right now? Maybe they're in Florida, maybe they're in Texas, maybe they're in California, but what do you say to that owner?
2: yeah i would say now not the time to, to get complacent and hopefully you know that's in reaction to, to some good news we're anticipating you know that this ruling goes in our favor you know but there's more work to be done we need to update our our practice laws here in new york and i know in other states we need to update the way that we deal with our our patients the way we communicate with prescribers um you know covid19 you know is not going to go away. I mean, we're going to come to a new normal, but there will be lessons to be learned and, and opportunities to be had. And, you know, I think pharmacy, one of the, especially independent pharmacy, you know, we're we're independent, but we should be more interdependent as well. You know, I'm not necessarily competing with, you know, somebody who's got another independent pharmacy. The next town over, you know, we're colleagues and, and there's ways for us to work together. And I'm also not necessarily competing with the pharmacists who are chain pharmacy right down the street. Um, you know, like you said, there's, there's a lot of prescriptions out there to be filled. And I, I, think that, you know, as a, as a profession, it's time for us to, to really come together, no matter, no matter what our practice setting is. So I'm incredibly encouraged by, by what we're seeing from, you know, the American Pharmacists Association lately. Um, I've been a long time NCPA member, so they've, you know, I've always felt they've done a good job and, um, just really excited by what's coming out of APHA with, with Scott and his team. So I hope, uh, hope we see some, some more interdependency between all pharmacists in the, in the near future.
1: Well, we're gonna keep talking about it. Uh, this is our uh, very popular series on, on the network and we're excited that, that pharmacy owners like yourself are, are participating in, in building a camaraderie between, uh, between owners uh, through these associations. Definitely support the NCPA uh, the APHA has a brand new uh, light inside the organization that's just supercharged and and starting to collaborate. I saw an interview with uh, uh, Dr. Scott Knorr and Doug Huey um, on one of the videos that they did uh, pre and leading up to the, the SCOTUS case. And that's uh, types of interactions I hadn't seen before. And so I'm excited what's happening. I, I think that I I feel and I hear um, a new energy and a new uh, temperament in in pharmacy forces and community pharmacy owners. And I think that, like you said, it's now time to drop the hammer and push our foot on the gas pedal and not become complacent. Now's the time to see this through more than ever. If you're listening, I think even with COVID-19, maybe even through a, a video chat, continuously on a cycle, whether that be once a year, twice a year, reach out to your state representatives, reach out to your state senators and schedule phone calls, um, a Zoom meeting, uh, a tour of the pharmacy. Regardless, if you keep them involved in letting them understand how important you are to their communities and to the communities of their constituents, this is what's going to resonate. And when they start seeing these cases and, and this information come out on the news, Send them this podcast. Send them this series so that they understand it from a pharmacy owner's perspective of how um, this impacts communities, but the impact that it makes to a small employer as well, which is really the the lifeblood of of communities throughout the throughout the nation. Steve, um, I just thank you. This has been a pleasure interviewing you and and learning about um, about your business and your family-run pharmacy um, and. I just want to um, encourage you and other pharmacy owners to um, to listen to all of our our podcasts, but anything that we can do for you as an organization, as a, as a family-run pharmacy, uh, please do not hesitate to reach out to us.
2: No, thank you, Todd. I appreciate the opportunity, and certainly I, I appreciate the work you do. So uh, definitely uh, keep it up, and anything we can do to support you, that's a two-way street.
1: Thank you so much. Just keep listening, keep sharing. Um, You're listening to the PBM Reform podcast series, a part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Um, We're here to, uh, to push and to serve and to help transform the pharmacy industry. If there's ever anything that you believe we can do, even for a pharmacy student, a pharmacy technician, someone in the profession, a technologist, please do not hesitate to reach out to us at 412-585-4001. That's 412-585-4001. You can find our podcasts on every podcast platform and or directory. And as always, I thank you for listening from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast.
0: PBM reform is not a textbook process. This component of healthcare insurance will take time to figure out and will consist of many different players of the pharmaceutical supply chain. If you'd like to contribute information, data, or your own insights on PBM reform, please contact the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com or call us at 412-585-4001.